Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. You've been following us for any time. You know that we're closing out uh, James. I think next week will be the last teaching on it. So this week, I'm going to teach about a topic that it's tough because it's caused people to leave churches. And I'm going to go out there and, and talk about what the Word has to say about it. Um, but it's good. And basically what we're going to cover today is really three or four really big things. Number one, I'm going to ask you the same thing that James is about to ask you. Is anyone suffering? I'm going to ask you, is anyone cheerful? And I'm going to ask if anyone's sick. Those are the three topics we're going to cover today. We're going to talk about what we do when we're in those situations. And it's really easy. We pray we grab an elder, we grab a, a friend, and we confess, and then we go to the Lord, and we let the Lord do the battle. See, the cool thing about us in here is the enemy has laid out his battle strategy for your life. That's to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. And the way he does that, a lot of times, is through sickness, through suffering, through pain, through all kinds of crazy stuff. But the cool thing is, is in that same Bible verse I just quoted, Jesus lays out his strategy and he came that you might have life, and you have life more abundantly. And I think today, we're going to muscle through some scripture, but I, I think today that life more abundantly comes in the form of, number one, praying to God, and then confessing to your brothers and sisters. That's a tough topic. We're going we're gonna to hit that today. So we're in James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. I want to encourage you as we're going through this to just be thinking about how prayer and confession is part of that abundant life. I just want you to be thinking about it because I'm going to tell you towards the end that prayer silences the enemy. The enemy's attacks in here are silenced once you start getting in prayer. You might still have some physical stuff going on. There may still be some struggles going on and some suffering, but when you begin praying, it silences the enemy here. When you confess your sins to your brothers and sisters, it silences another part of the enemy's attack on your life. So that's kind of how we're going to work through this, is that life more abundantly. But if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. It says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great powers is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Verse 18, then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. We're going to tackle these verses here, but I want to let you know the challenging part, the difficult part of this verse is that a lot of times you have three basic movements within the church. You have a movement that believes in health and welfare and prosperity. And you have a movement that believes that God stopped using miracles after the scriptures were canonized in the first century. 
And then you have the third part over here that goes to church and believes in God. But when a miracle happens in a hospital, they, they thank the doctor and they walk out and they're so glad that that doctor saved their child, but they forget that Jesus conducted the miracle through the doctor. And so we got to figure out where we're at in that circle. Another part that makes this text so difficult is the part that we have family members that have been sick, that are still sick, that maybe have even passed on. And we look at verses like this and we don't understand how. How is this possible? Especially when you have heretical teaching out there that says, if you claim it with your mouth, the healing will come. Let's look back at James chapter 5, verse 13. Verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So we start off right there with, Is anyone among you suffering? Now, when James wrote this, it was between AD 50 and AD 60, somewhere in that time frame. Well, by AD 50, the Roman Empire declared Christianity an illegal sect, which meant it was unauthorized to be a part of this group. And then by AD 60, Christianity itself was declared illegal. So when he wrote those words, there's no doubt that people in his church were already suffering. So when he says, is anyone among you suffering? Well, that word for suffering, it's a Greek word and it's pronounced kakapatheo. And it means to endure evil. To endure hardships, to endure trouble times, to endure evil. That's, that's what I want to put in your brain right there. Because this word suffering, we have it all throughout the scriptures, but that word kakapatheo is only used four times in reference to suffering. So there's other Greek words that, that cover that word for suffering, but James wants you to know if anyone is suffering or enduring evil, hardships or hard times right now, what are you supposed to do? Pray. Then shifts gears. In almost in the same sentence, if anyone is cheerful, let him do what? Sing praise. You guys uh, lucked out for not being here first service. I couldn't really talk at this part of the message. I was so excited when I talked to Kelly. I said, this, this is what I'm going to be preaching on. Can you put some songs together dealing with prayer? And I don't think at that time I'd had a chance to tell her. When I studied for this text, our English translation says, let him, if he's cheerful, let him sing praise. Well, if you look at the King James or the old King James, it says, let him sing psalms. And she pulled out Psalm 5. Whew. What a cool song. Give ear to my prayer, O Lord. Isn't that cool to think that they, they had that going on? So James is telling us in verse 13, if anyone's suffering, let him pray. If anyone's cheerful, let him sing praise. Let him sing psalms. I find that so encouraging. You have two really, really big emotions right there. Suffering, cheerful, but both emotions require an action from you. If you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing praise. I just, I love that concept. And I want to encourage you, if you're not cheerful, still sing praise. It's a good, it's a good time. And if, if you're ever around my house when I'm in a shower, I am singing praise like a crazy person because I just, I worship God in certain places. And, and to sing praise to God is so powerful, especially when you're cheerful. Let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this, is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So this word for sickness here, if anyone is sick, it's, it literally just means if anyone is without power, if anyone is physically sick, if you're poor, if you're needy, if you're weak, if you're powerless, if you're that person, find those elders. Let the elders know what's going on. They're going to anoint you. They're going to pray for you. Well, if you don't know what an elder is, the Greek word here is presbyteros. And it just, in this sentence, word for word just means an older person, a more mature person in the Lord. But in the context of what James is talking about, and other uh, Christian historians, and even some of the church fathers, they've said that, yeah, James chose the word presbytero, which means older person, but the context really means an overseer of an assembly of believers. So when you're sick, when you're powerless, and you're weak, James is telling you, go find one of those leaders that's over the assembly, or, or find a brother that's older, and let him know, this is what I got going on. And they should pray for you. They should anoint you with oil. And the oil, I don't want you to be nervous or think there's anything crazy about the oil. The oil has always been used. If you go back to the book of Exodus, oil was used to sanctify and to set apart items and people for service for the Lord. The fancy word is sanctify. It would be sanctified. If I, if I said I want to use this table for church service and nothing else, I'm going to anoint it with oil and I'm going to set it aside. We're going to anoint the priests or the prophets and set them aside for the service to the Lord. Then you get to the book of Leviticus and it kind of changes a little bit, this oil. Now it's not so much just to sanctify and to set aside. It's actually for cleansing and it's for healing in the book of Leviticus. But it also, around the time of Leviticus, was not only used for cleansing and healing, it was actually considered a medicinal uh, product. So when we have headaches nowadays, what do we do? We take Tylenol, take a Motrin. Back then, they would use the oil as a medicinal product. And so what James is telling his believers, he's telling his elders, when someone comes to you and they're sick, they're powerless, they're weak, they're going to pray for you. You're, they're going to need your prayer. And you're going to anoint them with oil. And this oil just symbolizes a transition from this natural medicinal healing to a supernatural healing through Jesus Christ. So don't be weirded out when, when you see somebody anoint with oil or you do some, uh, somebody anoints you with oil. I know I was the first time it happened to me. And one of the things we do up at the, the homeless church up there is we anoint, but we use very fragrance, uh, some frankincense and some myrrh. It's a very strong smell. And so when we anoint somebody, they, they're anointed and they actually can smell it. So as we're praying, it just, it just it symbolizes a peaceful thing. The healing is not in the oil. Just like the baptism, the salvation is not in the baptism, if that makes sense. It's a symbol of what God's doing. So when people are sick, they're going to go to the elders for healing and for praying. Let's look at verse 15. Now this is where, this is where the church takes a, takes a little bit of a black eye sometimes. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. So what God, what James is telling us here is that this collective prayer that we do for that sick person, it's a collective prayer. Like hopefully he's praying on his own, but when we come together, it's this collective prayer that God uses to begin to raise this person up. 
Now, we've said from the beginning that the book of James resembles a lot of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the Beatitudes. It's, it's your how you should just live as a Christian, right? So James is a lot like that. It, it talks about how we should live, but it also resembles a lot of the Proverbs. And in the Proverbs, you have what's called general promises. This will happen if you do this. It's general. It's not a guaranteed 100% of the time promise. This is going to happen. For instance, uh, Proverbs 15.1 says that a soft voice will turn away wrath, right? I've been in some pretty hefty discussions with people and try to use that verse and I try to talk softly to them and it doesn't turn away wrath. It, it just, for some reason, it just doesn't work. Proverbs 22.6, a lot of Christians that we know have done everything in their power to raise their children, to love Jesus, to fear God, to love mankind and to serve mankind. But what happens is when they get older, sometimes they, they veer off the path and a lot of times they just don't come back. And a lot of times those kids end up being adults and find themselves up in a ministry like R41. Something happened, they got off the path. They never came back. So the promise there is a general promise. It should work, but it's not always going to work. And when we get to verse 15 right here, and James says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. We get all fumbled up at that verse because we have faith and we're praying and the sick person sometimes doesn't get healed. A lot of people want to stop praying right there. They, they're praying for somebody. They're not seeing a healing. They're not seeing a miracle. And what do they do? They're tempted to back off and say, I, I don't think I need to, I'm, I can't pray anymore. It's not working. I've been praying and I'm not seeing a miracle. It's not happening. I don't know what to do. I'm probably going to stop praying. A lot of people just don't see the miracle and they'll stop altogether. But what James is wanting us to do is to, to get in there and to pray with that person because look closely at what it says is going to happen, right? It says here that the prayer, three things, the prayer of faith will save the sick. It says the Lord will raise him up and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. It's collective prayer. It's this idea of being with somebody and praying with them. The Greek word here for that healing is sozo. And that one gets turned and twisted and used all kinds of crazy ways also. But that just means a full, full healing. Your body's healed. Your mind is healed. Your heart is healed. Your life is healed. In the, in the health business, maybe it's called wellness. Like you're well, you're overall well. But it's in Jesus' name that you are healed. And this person may be physically sick. They may be emotionally sick. They may be mentally sick. They may have spiritual sickness, and we don't know what it is. But what he's saying here is if that person is sick, go see one of these elders and they will raise, they will pray and, and that faith, pray of faith will raise them up. And I am here to tell you that this verse gets butchered so bad. I don't even know how long Awaken was around, maybe less than a year. It's like 13, 12, 13 years ago, we're sitting in, a hospital room with a brother that I know loved Jesus. He was probably in, if you saw the Jesus movie recently, he was probably in that movie somewhere. He got baptized back in the 70s, you know, in California, back in the ocean, and just a Jesus lover, man. 
and he's dying in a hospital bed and his family comes to visit him and they tell him to his face, you're dying because you don't have enough faith. You're, you're dying because you won't repent and you won't have enough faith. And that's why you're in this hospital bed. And I, and I was a brand, I, I wasn't even a pastor at that point. But at that point, I just remember thinking, man, that's, that is the cruelest, harshest thing I think a Christian can say to another Christian is you're dying because your faith, you're not healed because of your faith. It's a tricky, it's a tricky topic. And one of the, you know, the pandemic, that hit, one of the biggest pandemics that has hit our planet right now is biblically illiterate people teaching other biblically illiterate people and twisting scripture and making it not right. Let's look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It says to confess your sins to one another and to pray for one another. It doesn't say to confess your sins and then gossip or confess your sins and then do what I do, complain or confess your sins and, and, and fall into a victim status. The self-identify as a victim. No, it says to confess your sins and pray. And there is some great power in confession. See, when you confess your sins to the right person, right, the prayers of a righteous person avails much as it is working. When that happens, God begins to really do what he says he's going to do. What does a righteous person look like? You and I are righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. We've been, we've been forgiven of our sin. We've been purchased. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're sealed until the day of redemption. That is righteous. But the, the actual definition of a righteous person is an upright person who keeps the divine law. He tries to fulfill what God's having him do. I'll read it for word for word. He observes God's divine law. He's upright. He keeps the commands of God. His way of thinking feeling and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God. It doesn't say he's perfect. It just says that he is upright and he wants to follow the will of God. He wants to do what God's telling him to do. And sometimes we're going to stumble. Sometimes there's going to be things that we have to do. Our jobs may make us do things that we, we kind of, oh, is that right? Is that wrong? I don't know. But, but we're not talking about the perfect person. We're talking about a guy who knows Jesus, loves Jesus, I know Jesus loves me. I know that God wants to use me for something. That's the righteous person. And it's his prayer or her prayer that works as he's praying. And there's value in this. And I quote this verse all the time and I don't understand it, but I quote it because I believe it. Isaiah 53, 5 says, by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. Not we're going to be healed. We are healed. Don't understand it. I don't understand our grasp of time and space, but I know Isaiah says that we are healed. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. 
And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. <laughs> I got to throw a little side note in here. Um, I accidentally deleted like 400 contacts in my phone. <laughs> and somebody, I, don't, I apologize, I don't, somebody texted me right after I said that last service. I said, why would Elijah pray that it stopped raining? <laughs> So whoever you are, thank you for the encouragement. But, I, but if you're reading this and, and you're going through it, I've gone through the scriptures a lot of times, I've, I've probably at least 20 or 30 times I've read this, and I always get to this part about Elijah, and I'm like, ah, oh, cool. You know, he's talking about healing, he's talking about praying, and he's talking about Elijah, that's weird, but that's cool. And I just keep going, right? I just work my way through it. But it wasn't until I actually studied for this message that it finally made sense. Why would James say, why would he even bring up Elijah? And we're talking about a righteous person. And then verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Well, who was Elijah? In 1 Kings 17, Elijah is the guy that prayed that the rain would stop. That's what this verse is quoting. The Lord told told Elijah to go hide in the wilderness, drink from the brook, that there's no more rain now. The brook's going to dry up eventually, but drink from the brook, eat the food from the ravens, right? Well, the brook dries up. Elijah goes into the town. He finds a widow. We know the story of the jars of oil and flour, how they, they never run out. It's a miracle. God did that through Elijah. We get in there. This widow's son dies. She starts to be bummed out. Why would you come to me, man of God? And my son's going to die. Elijah goes to his son. He prays for him. He says, God, let his soul return to him three times. And what happened? God brought the kid back to life. That's 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 18 goes like this. Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal. If you guys haven't read that story, you've got to go read it because it's mind-blowing how it happens. Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal, and then in that same chapter, he prays that it rains, and it rains again. It's a cool story. I don't want to mess it up for you. You've got to go read it, 1 Kings 18. And then we get to 1 Kings 19. Elijah gets threatened by a woman. Jezebel threatens him, freaks him out. What does he do? He goes out into the wilderness. He goes into the desert. If you know the story, he gets depressed. So here's this guy that knows God and God knows him. He loves God. God loves him. They they got this relationship that we should have with Jesus Christ ourselves, but he loves God. God loves him. God uses him to, to, to do miracles. But what happens to him? He gets depressed. He gets sick to a point where he actually prays to die. Now, when this Bible right here says that Elijah was a man with a nature like yours, and like yours, and like mine. He's prone to get sick. He's prone to get bummed out. He's prone to get, have emotional distress and sickness and crazy stuff that he can't figure out. But what did he do? He kept on praying. So Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Can you say that you are a man or a woman with a nature like Elijah's. When, when life puts the stomp on you, what are you going to do? 
When you don't see the miracle happen, what are, what's your next step? Do you just quit praying? Do you allow bitterness in your heart? Or do you pray like Elijah? My original question, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you cheerful? Is anyone among you sick? Because what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to sing praise. We're supposed to grab a brother or sister, grab an elder, confess that sin, and we go to that person and we ask them, man, can you pray with me? This is what I got going on. I need some prayer. I need this to happen. And prayer makes sense. But what really is prayer? By definition, prayer, I'll read it so I don't mess it up. It's a solemn, formal, very dignified, very serious, very sincere request for help. That's prayer. So we, he's telling us to pray. He's not telling us to feel like a victim and sit in that mentality for years. He's saying to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is another verse worth memorizing. Paul tells his people to pray without ceasing. That's why I challenge the drummer and I pray. With it. Can, you do, can you pray without ceasing? Because when the times go rough and you're not seeing a miracle, you're not seeing the healing, this isn't happening, I can't figure this out, I got to pray without ceasing. It doesn't say stop because you don't see it. It says pray without ceasing. And it definitely doesn't say that the person is still sick because of your lack of faith. And that's fine and dandy. We understand prayer now, but, but what about the other part about confessing? Doesn't that part kind of freak you out sometimes? I got to confess my sins to somebody. In the 90s, we used to say that uh, 1 John 1.9 was the Christian bar of soap. You can't say that now because most people use shower gel. <laughs> so maybe it's the Christian bottle of shower gel. And the way that verse works is I'm, I'm praying to God, I'm confessing my sin to God, and God's cleansing me from all unrighteousness. But a lot of Christians stop right there. They'll pray, they'll admit, God, please help me, God, I, 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 uh, I looked at porn, or I did this, or I went here, I said, God, please forgive me. And rightfully so, you confess your sins, you're cleansed. But when you stop right there, and you don't do what this Bible verse is saying, saying, go confess your sins, by you confessing your sins, now you are cleansing your conscience. And when your conscience is clean, you've been forgiven, but now your conscience is clean. And now I'm walking around, and if I confess to Pastor Nate, or if I confess to Donald, it doesn't matter, or Heather, whoever I confess to, when I see them, I know that they know what's going on. I know that they're doing what? They're gossiping about me, and they're telling all my friends. No, they're praying for me. They're going to bat in the spirit for me. And so confession to God brings healing. Confession to man brings healing. And I think that's a very important thing for us to, to try and learn today. Are you suffering? Are you suffering from fear? Are you suffering from anxiety? Are you suffering from lust? Are you suffering from guilt? I actually looked up guilt online. AXA Health says this, excessive irrational guilt has been linked to mental illness such as anxiety, 
depression, dysphoria, feelings of constant dissatisfaction, obsessive compulsive disorder, and it can cause the sufferers to believe that they are a burden to their own loved ones. That's what guilt does. When you pray and you get right with God through Jesus Christ, that begins a healing. Well, if I go tell Miss Christy, I got this going on, you know what she's going to do? I hope. She's going to pray, but she's going to quote Romans 8 1 that says, What? There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. She's going to tell you you're loved and whatever you got going on right now, that is illegitimate guilt. It's illegitimate fear. Some of those other things, they may be legit, but what you got going on right now, the Lord's telling me that's not right. And I'm going to pray with you and and God's going to break whatever that bond is that's wrapped around your heart and wrapped around your life. All because you submitted in one area. I told a brother or sister and they prayed for me. They're going to convince you to keep going. Guys, I know that everything I'm saying you've heard before, God has a plan for your life, for every situation in your life. Ever since you were this big to however big you are now, he's had a plan for every situation, whether it's a good situation or a bad situation. And you know what? Ideally, in that life more abundantly concept is, as your life's going like this, you're praying And your prayer is interweaved in between all those good situations and all those bad situations. And when you think about God through Jesus Christ has a plan for your life, you have to remember that Satan has a plan for your life too. But he's already laid it out. He's going to steal, kill, and destroy you through sickness, through poverty, through something that you are weak and powerless to overcome. But that's not when we give up. That's when we go to prayer. That's when we call a brother or sister. Now we have the age-old argument of this. Maybe God is not powerful enough to stop evil. See, the way the saying is, is I'm going to read it again so I don't mess it up. If God is all good, then God must not be powerful enough to stop evil. If he is all good, He must not be able to stop evil because there's evil in this world. The other side of it is, okay, well, if God is all-powerful and he can stop evil, then he must not be good because there's evil in the world. And this is the battle that goes on in people's minds. Is God all-powerful? He still lets evil happen. Maybe God's got some evil in him. And no. When sickness or suffering, or pain comes upon you. It's not our job to try and figure it out. We're not called to try and figure it out. God is sovereign. And when we try and figure out the answers to those questions, why why would God do this? Why would God allow that to happen? Why? You know what we're doing then? We're crisscrossing between theology and philosophy. We're trying to figure out God through those two means and that that's not what god's calling us to do and if we don't fall for that trick and we start going in and we start falling into these other crazy theologies that they don't they're, they're, they're kind of kind of right but kind of not right 
What I'm encouraging you is to allow yourself to go through whatever it is that, God's allow, that God has you going through, but to continue in prayer. See, we're going to have times where we have to suffer at the hands of pure evil. We just we won't have a choice. And there's two kinds of evil out there. There's moral evil and there's natural evil. And that moral evil is when your mind and your heart and your soul is so corrupt. And that's when people go into schools and shoot kids. Or we have legislation that says that a child that's born isn't really a child because the mom doesn't want it. Or when we have a grown man that thinks he can be attracted to a five-year-old. That's moral evil. But we also have natural evil. You have tornadoes. You have a tree can fall on you when you're walking. You could, an, an alligator attack a kid at a theme park. See, we're not, we're not prone, we're not, God doesn't protect us from all of that stuff. We're, we're prone to have some of those things happen to us. And if, if, you're, if you're here and you just don't think maybe a Christian should go through that, please find me. I've got at least, at least 60 verses that will tell you that we are going to suffer. We're going to go through some stuff. We may be prone to sickness. There, there may be times in your life where you have a physical sickness that you can't get past or a family member that just can't get past. There may be a global pandemic. Whatever your thoughts are on that, there may be something like that in our future. I don't know how it's going to look, but there may be sickness. You may be sick right this minute. You may be barely even able to follow what I'm saying, and it's just you're checking in, you're checking out. I'm, I'm kind of listening. I'm I'm kind of here. I kind of don't care. Your heart, your soul, and your mind could be fractured right now. And what's inside those fractures is sickness, fear, depression, sadness. I've had, I'm going to confess to you guys, I've had years Years of unexplainable sadness in my life. I've, I've, I've chased terrorists across the desert before. I've put hundreds of bad guys in jail. And I'm sad? Doesn't make sense. We've had family members we prayed for, God, please heal this person. Please bring this person. Wake them up. Heal them. Bring them back. Whatever. And God doesn't answer it. But whatever's going on right now, the answer for us is the same thing. What is it? To pray, to confess the sin, if there's sin in our heart, to go grab an elder, grab somebody and have them pray for you. I want to read a couple of verses real quick. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, from deceiving to being deceived themselves. Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. It's a tough pill to swallow. So prayer and confession, that, that's really what I want us to get out of here is prayer and confession. Prayer is mentioned seven times in these five verses but how do we pray? Prayer is this unique conversation between you and God. My wife is Mindy. She's the children's church director. Now, I have a unique conversation skill with my wife. I talk to her a certain way. But when I talk to my friend in the back named Marshall, I talk to him in a whole different way. You know what I'm saying? 
My friend Abby out there on the cart, I talk to her all nice because she's nice and sweet. But then when I talk to an army ranger or a marine or something, I talk in a whole different way or a dump truck driver. You know what I'm saying? It's a unique conversation that I have between me and God. There's no right or wrong way. So if you're in here and maybe you're a new believer and you're like, I really don't know how to pray. You do know how to pray because you know how to talk. Talk to God. You have time to communicate with him. Make it intentional. If you've got something to write with, I'm going to have some, some acronyms up on the, on the wall here. And these have helped me out through my Christian walk. It's, the first one is the word acts, A-C-T-S. Very easy. Adoration. I adore God. Do I really adore God? Well, you'll know when you start praying. God, I love you. I'm so excited. You are amazing. You're powerful. Then we get to the next one. Confession. Lord, help me. I shouldn't have had that conversation. I shouldn't have drove that fast. I shouldn't have done those things. Then you get to the word T or the letter T. It's Thanksgiving. God, thank you for giving me clothing and, and a home and food and a car. And then you get to supplication. That's word supplication. It's just, it's just a fancy way of saying your petition. It's what you're actually asking God for. So I'm going to go through that list before I get to the point where I start asking God, God, please give me this. Please do this. The next one that helps is the word joy, J-O-Y. And this one, I'll be honest, this one has helped me out more than, than all these other acronyms. And what that is, is, the same concept of adoring God first. You go to Jesus, you're worshiping Jesus, you're, you're loving on him through prayer, and then you begin to pray for others. Those people who have come to you and confessed things, I'm praying for them. I'm lifting them up. This person's confession may be silly. I can't stop smoking. To me, that's silly, but that might be a big thing for somebody. Well, in that thing, I'm praying for others. God, help that person stop smoking. Take it away from them. And then you get to yourself last. And that's when you start asking for your own things. The next thing is the Lord's Prayer. Write these verses down if you want to. But this is one of the best prayers in the Bible. And it covers everything. And I'm saying memorize it, but don't pray it from memory. You know, the Lord's Prayer says this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, if you stop right there and that's all you can pray, do you know how much theology is right there? Our father. Some of us didn't even have a father. Some of us had toxic fathers and we don't want nothing to do with them. But when I submit and I say, our father, where he's in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. All these things start populating my mind. Okay, God, I want to pray like your kingdom's here and I want to be in your will here, so when your kingdom comes, I'm in your, like, it, there's all kinds of ways to pray through that prayer alone. The next one that I want to encourage you to do is memorize psalms. Like, find a psalm or two or ten and memorize it. If you're like me, you'll probably take a little while to memorize it, and you'll be excited, and then you'll forget everything. But one thing you won't forget when you memorize a psalm, you'll never forget the message of that psalm. Like I might forget how the words go to it, but I never forget that psalm. Here's an example. I know I'm way over. I'm sorry, guys. But if you saw my prayer life in the mornings, you would be, you'd be confident that I'm a weirdo. Matter of fact, you probably wouldn't want to listen to me preach. But if I saw your prayer life, I'd probably be the same way. But <laughs> so my, my prayer life starts off pretty early in the morning. I make the coffee. I pray. I sip on coffee, I, I, I get into the Word, however it looks. Well, as of probably about the last three or four years, somebody gave us an Alexa. Has anybody got an Alexa? Don't ever get one, they're bad. But I'm praying and I'm asking the Lord, I'm saying, God, please help me today. I'm gonna be outside cutting grass. 
Alexa, what's the weather today? Please help it be cool. <laughs> Alexa, what's the pollen count? Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to get some Motrin or some Advil or something. Right? So I'm praying. I'm praying to God. I'm talking to Alexa. It's a crazy, it's a crazy thing that's going. But I'll tell you, because of that craziness, there was a time when I'm praying, I'm doing the talking to God, praying, you know, talking to Alexa, whatever. And then I got this idea. Why don't I have Alexa open the Bible app? Alexa, open version Bible. And then she'll say, what would you like me to read? Psalm 25. So she starts reading Psalm 25. I'm praying. I'm hearing the word of God spoken through a machine. It's weird. They're reading the very thing that I memorized a few years ago, but I've forgotten it now, but I know the concept of this psalm. It's, it's healing. And I'm praying it. I'm memorizing a psalm. It's, it's just good. So these are just some ideas for you as you're, as you're trying to work through prayer and, and how you do things. I brought this Bible because this is, this is the one I do battle with. I use this one to teach from here to Waken because this is the, the translation that we use the most. But this is the one I study at my house. And I don't know if you guys can see this. I've got color pencils that, that won't bleed through my, my pages, right? They're, they're Bible highlighters specific for a Bible. And I go through here, and as God's working on things in my heart, as he's sharing things with me, I, I come to the white sections, right? And I put a little, I make a code, a color code. Blue means this, red means that, green means this, purple means that. And each one's a different topic. Like, like one, blue for me is like, do this. Red for me is like, don't do that. Green is something that God's done, God's grace, or God's brought it, God's made it happen. Purple is suffering. Orange is prayer. Now, the reason I say to do this is because if you and I are alike in any way, shape, or form, you may get to that point where maybe you are sick. Maybe your brain isn't able to comprehend what you're trying to do. But if you have the color code, I'm confident that right now I can open my Bible anywhere in the Psalms. Anywhere. It doesn't matter. And I'll just read something in orange because that's my prayer, right? Oh God, do not be far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. That's a cool prayer, right? Well, I can keep going. And I've got all these prayers that these other men and women have prayed. Here we go. Here's one. Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out. That sounds like the Psalm we sang, but that was actually Psalm 141. So my point is this, as you're going through this, I, I want to just tell you, there's some crazy stuff out there, but to pray, to confess to your brothers and sisters. And even more importantly, and tied with that is the idea of us becoming biblically literate. Study this word. Read this word, man. Let it, let it read you. Let it tell you who you are. And as you're studying it and as you're praying, you're becoming biblically literate and you're becoming spiritually intimate. I want to do one more thing and I'm really sorry because I'm going late, guys. Flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to validate what I've been telling you is how prayer silences the enemy. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 3, it says this. For though I walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God and what we take captive every thought to obey Christ. 
So as we are praying and as we're going before the Lord, we have to remember those weapons are not natural. They're spiritual and they're designed to take down strongholds. And I want to encourage you this. The enemy, whoever out there is going through it, the enemy can't torment you forever. He cannot torment you forever. Go to the Lord in prayer. Call on a brother or sister. Look, you might be in that phase where you don't even know you're sick. I'm just going to church because my wife goes. I know I should follow Jesus, but I'm not following Jesus. I'm so bummed out. I can't figure out why I'm depressed. I don't know why I'm bummed out. But you know what? At some point, I believe God's going to give you a breakthrough. And it's in that break of clarity that you're going to call on one of us to, to pray and to come alongside you. We're obligated to, to continue praying. And Jesus said that the thief came to steal and to kill and destroy, but he came that, that we should have more life. And I think that life is through prayer and through fellowship with each other and through uh, reaching out. I can't, uh, you know, I, I don't want to bash any of my motivational speakers, but I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I love the concept, but I can't. I can't get myself up off the floor. I, I just can't do it. Matter of fact, to be honest with you, I need to be on the floor, face down, in prayer. You need to be letting the Lord stir that up inside of me. And if you're in here, it's okay for you to be upset at God. And it's okay for you to have that feeling in your heart like, I, I can't really worship this God because I can't understand why I'm going through whatever I'm going through. But I want to encourage you guys to keep praying. And every week, we'll bring the pastors up here to the front row. And they're here for prayer. They're here for us in this body. And I want to encourage you. We're going to bring out the worship team here if they're, if they're back there. We're going to close in a couple of songs of, of worship. And what I'd like is, I'd like to have the, the pastors and the elders, if they can come up and just be up here for prayer. And I want to encourage you, if you're there and you've got something going on, Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe it's just suffering. You've, you've gone through some evil or you're in an evil situation. These guys want to pray for you. There's just something about having someone else pray with you in the middle of your situation. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.